Oh, hello, donks. It is uh, Friday, January 17th, 2019. Well, no, it's not 2019. I'm out of my goddamn mind. It is 2020. I never get used to saying it's 2020. It is 2020, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. My name is Luke Thomas. This is episode 15 of the Luke Thomas live chat, and a big one indeed today. We started on time for a very important reason, because we've got a lot of stuff to get to. So without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? All right. With that in mind, um, we got a lot of stuff to do. So first of all, thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. As you can see in this corner, there we are. Uh, like the video, subscribe to the channel, really trying to drive subscriptions. A few pieces of news and notes. Number one, um, I will be back tomorrow night for a post-fight special for UFC 246. So immediately after the main event being over, I'll be right here to recap everything right as it's right as it's ending. So that's the first. Second, uh, you guys probably saw my big announcement yesterday. Uh, every day, 45 minutes of my radio show on SiriusXM will go for free on Apple Podcasts, Pandora. Turns out it's going to be on Stitcher as well. Um, so if you guys want that, there's a link for that in the description box below. You can get it for free, a daily podcast essentially about MMA and other stuff, but uh, principally about MMA for free. Uh, last thing, I noticed that a lot of you guys, um, so I pulled out of last week's chat the DC Metro fight story. You guys seem to like it. From now on, if you guys like a certain question that I answer here and, and you want me to pull it out for a, its own video, um, please do like leave leave a comment, leave a message, shoot me an email, Luke Thomas Show, or actually yeah, that's the wrong email. Luke Thomas News is my email, Luke Thomas News at gmail dot com. Uh, let me know which one you want me to pull out. If there's enough unanimity unanimity uh, around a particular topic or answer, then I'll go in that direction. Okay, all right, very good. I'll take that off. <coughs> As you can see, uh, I look like a mess, but I did sleep well last night. Uh, it was not my turn to get up this morning, so your boy slept great. I feel pretty good about it, but nevertheless, I had a bunch of things going on this morning, and I look like ass. All right, because I got hairs in my mouth. Let's have a sip of this coffee from Starbucks, and let's get going, shall we? Episode 15, donks. Um, okay, good thing I didn't have it pulled up ready to go. That was smart of me. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay. Um, community tab. All right, let's get to these questions. Not bad, 168 comments I see. That's not bad, not bad. I mean, it's only so many topics you can get to given when it's a, it's a Conor McGregor fight week, right? Uh, okay, so first question, and this is an important one. What were your overall impressions of the UFC 246 press conference? The trading of the compliments... The booing of the allegation and the questions, the new charitable Connor. Boy, there's a lot to digest there. I almost went live when it was over, but I thought it might be overkill, given that we had a chat today to do. Um, all right, so let's start with some of the basic stuff. I think they should stop calling. Uh, here's here's the thing, man. There's a lot of controversy about the questions that Connor was asked, which I think the fans are totally wrong, but also I think are totally right. Let me explain what I mean. We'll get to the questions in just a second, but they got to stop calling us a press conference because it's not what it is, man. It's not what it is. A press conference where the fans are not merely in attendance, but the predominant group in in the building 
it's not it's not designed for the media to do their best work. It's not what that's about ultimately. Um, it's a pep rally. It's a pep rally to which the media is invited. Honestly, here's my view on this whole thing. If that's the way that they want to do it, where you're just going to have the fans sort of dictate the tenor and tone of the whole thing, then that's honestly fine. I don't even care. But then don't invite the media to ask questions. Just let the fans ask questions. Just give it back to them, honestly. The media don't need to be there. Or they can go there like to film or something. But they don't need to be there to ask questions. And plus, those guys did scrums after that anyway. Like, why are they having to go to four or five different scrums? That's the part I don't get. Now, some, to some degree, I understand that, which is if you don't know anything about Fight Week, as each day of the week passes, so from Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday to Friday, more and more media show up, particularly from further out regions. So you'll get, you'll get your regular MMA fightings. They're going to be there for all the events, MMA junkies, things like that. They'll be there early in the week, but as Thursday rolls around, as Friday rolls around, you'll start getting some of the media outlets that don't tend to cover MMA. They might have a bigger audience. They might have a non-MMA audience. So part of the reason why they have to go through this repetition of scrums is because you're getting different media, um, and I think as UFC sees it, pretty valuable media as each day passes. Fine, I get that. But there's no need to have the media ask questions if if that's what these events are going to be. Give it back to the fans. Let the fans have it, because if you notice what the fans were saying, they were like, this is a press conference, this is not the time or place. Well, if it was a real press conference, that's the only time and place. That's the best time and place. But it's pretty clearly not a real press conference. It's a fan event that the media are invited to. So just make it a fan event. Just make it a fan event. Give the microphone to the fans. Let them ask questions. I know it turns into a shit show when that happens, but... Um, that's honestly a much more normal experience than the one that we're getting, which is media either cheered or booed, depending on what the questions they ask. And if they go outside the boundaries of like what is acceptable to that fan base, which you can imagine is going to be predominantly pro McGregor in this particular case, but that will change. You know, obviously fight to fight, uh, just give it back to the fans. Stop calling it what it is. It's not, it's not a press conference. It's a uh, fan Q and a. And then let that just be what it is, man. Let that be. And you can screen these guys ahead of time. You know, it's not that hard. A little extra effort into it. You'll be fine. Okay, so that was the first part I thought. The trading of the compliments. I mean, look, man. The thing about Connor is that there's a continuity, typically, in his energy, right? He has this like, really aggressive posture, typically. not this This fight week, of course not, but... He's out there insulting opponents, insulting the division, calling his shot, Mystic Mac this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, exception of the Habib fight, that has typically worked really well for him. And then he gets into the fight itself, and he like marches across the octagon really fast and gets in someone's face and gets right to work. You know, He's really an incredibly strong starter, and I think all that fits together. As long as he doesn't have a dramatically different fight style that is a huge departure from what it was to accommodate this more relaxed pre-fight posture. I don't really see what the problem is. In fact, you know, Chuck Mendenhall's been really great about writing about this fight, and he sort of noted quite correctly, if you go and just look at the, you know, uh, the career of Conor McGregor, it's been escalation, 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 even into the Mayweather fight, even into the, the, the Nurmagomedov fight. This is the first time he's sort of taken a step back, I think, and it's a smart calibration. I think it's the right calibration, right? Let's take a, let's take a step back. Let's take on a formidable challenge, but one that's winnable, right? And let's let's have a good camp around it to the extent that we can. 
at any point in time. And uh, let's focus on that, and then we'll figure out what's next later. We'll do it at 170. We'll give ourselves some options in case of wins, in case of losses. It's just a really pragmatic approach. Um, so, honestly, I think that's pretty smart. I think that's actually that if you're a McGregor fan, I think honestly, I, I know that they want to play the band, you know, get the band back together and have him play the all the old hits. Maybe he will if he wins on Saturday night in terms of going forward against Nurmagomedov. I guess we'll see. But honestly, like doing the same old thing over and over again, uh, I yeah, it worked really well for a time, but it's time for a new chapter. The guy's a father now. He's obviously got a lot hanging over his head in terms of uh, potential legal woes and just sort of like even if. You know, forget all that, just the stuff that happened with Bellator and the phone and then the punching the old dude in the bar. You know, it's time to grow up a little bit, I think. And I think he probably feels that way. He already accomplished a lot anyway. It'd be weird if he was still doing the exact same thing over and over again. So as long as that doesn't lead into like a cold start for him in the fight, I, I honestly, I, I don't see what you could be. I mean, yes, it's different and that could be a little bit unnerving. I don't really see the issue with it. I think it's probably fine. Um, he he seems to be ready to go, for what it's worth. Uh, so you've been the trading of compliments. The guy's going back and forth. A little weird that Cerrone would be so complimentary, but I don't think he has it in him to always have antagonism either. For him, it's very much a job. Show up, do the job the best you can, then you know, win or lose, try again at a later date. So if there's no need to have animosity, I think he probably sees it as a lot of extra work. So that would explain his side of things. And, um, yeah, my only real concern about Connor is let's just, I don't want to see him start cold because, uh, well, I wouldn't want to see him go crazy to start. I think we all know he's really gifted in the beginning of fights. Keep that aspect, keep it really focused and intense uh, when the fight kicks off. But if he wants to be nice before that because he's in a different space in his life, I don't see the harm. Now, um, as it relates to... Uh, the questions about the rape allegations. So if this is one problem that I had identified already, which is, you know, you've got this real clash between what the fans want and expect and what they believe they are entitled to and what the media wants and expects and what they believe, if not entitled to per se, but what they're, what they're required to do. Uh, and as long as you have that central tension by having a confused event, this will continue. So I think that should change. As it relates to the questions itself, uh, this gentleman, I think his name is Morgan Campbell from the Toronto Star, who apparently is a decorated and well-credentialed journalist. Um, there's nothing wrong with his question. I hate to tell you. I know a lot of folks disagree. I know a lot of th folks thought it was gratuitous, that the questions had already been answered, that we were wasting our time. I don't agree at all. I don't even agree a little bit about that. If... Um, uh, Okay, why? Now, maybe I missed something, and if I did, by all means, mea culpa. But people were saying, oh, well, Connor already answered this on Monday. No, he did not. No, he did not. He was asked from what I saw. Again, I may have missed something else, but from what I saw from the clips floating around on social media, what I saw was that he was asked in a vague way about allegations more generally. There was no mention of New York Times, and there was no mention particularly, and more importantly, of the words sexual assault. In fact, what I saw was, from his ESPN interview, was he was asked about allegations in a general way, and then it was quickly brought up something where Connor was accused of being the father of some child, which of course was not true at all. Right, because you can imagine, lots of people accuse Connor McGregor of lots of things. 
Some of it's serious, some of it frivolous, some of it weird, some of it may be true, you don't know, right? If you just sort of follow tabloids about McGregor, I'm sure a huge portion of that is not true. Some of it is just innocuous and stupid. It runs the gamut. People allege all kinds of things about him and many other celebrities, I'm sure, as well. No one really cares about that stuff. The only important question is about the nature of the sexual assault investigations, which New York Times doubled down on. And if you noticed why it was important to ask is because it sounds like you're being a dick by being like, all right, really, we're going to police the fact that he didn't include two, maybe four extra words. Well, yeah, because those are the two (laughs) most important words. Uh, Understand something. Showtime has hired me to do a bunch of different interviews this week. In around radio stations all around the country. I've been busy on the phones the whole time from Seattle to here in D.C. to Chicago to Florida to New York to Vegas to Austin, Texas and every place in between. Dude, not one person has asked about it. Not even one person I think even knew about it. Like there is a concerted effort to make sure that no one even talks about it. And I know what folks say, which is, well, we don't know if he's guilty or innocent. Absolutely true. People have asked like, you know, what do you think of the evidence? I don't fucking know. I've not even I don't know I don't know what evidence the Irish police do or do not have. I don't know I, you know I don't have any ability to weigh in on it. But if if they're investigating on one or two different cases, you have a right to at least ask some basic questions about that. And it just looks to me, I mean I don't know why those two words were omitted or the four words New York Times sexual assault. I don't know why they were omitted. I don't know if it was accidental. I don't know if it was a purpose. I cannot read into intentionality. All I can say is if you ask the question about allegations generally and then you immediately bleed into this thing where he was exonerated, that is not a proper question. That's not, that's not the that's not an effective way to ask the question to the point where the reason why Morgan Campbell asked the question is because he was writing something up for the New York Times. Did you guys read the article he actually linked out? In the article, it states that very thing. That Connor was asked in a general way about allegations, but it wasn't exactly clear which ones were. So they felt it incumbent upon themselves to try and get clarity at this event. The whole reason why he asked is because it wasn't asked earlier in the week. So that is just plainly not true. It's just not true. Um, Not in the way it was supposed to be asked, according to what the New York Times was trying to figure out. Flatly, what do you have to say about these sexual assault allegations in this report from the New York Times? Blah, blah, blah. It just wasn't asked. So that's why they, that's the whole reason why we had to revisit that shit at the press conference. That's the that's the very genesis of what happened. Um, so there's that, and then the other part I think, um, sort of related to all of this is, folks have said, well, what do you expect them to say? Folks, I got news for you. If you do this job and you think you know what answers you're going to get to the questions you're answer, asking, don't ask the fucking question. I got to tell you, a lot of times I have thought I knew what answer I was going to get, and I got something completely different. I have got questions that I've asked these guys, and you would you would never think that they would give the answer they, they give, and then they give it. I don't fucking know what answer he's going to give, man. That's why you ask the question. Yes, from a logical standpoint, he probably won't give you much. I am not a fortune teller. I'm not a mind reader. I don't think Morgan Campbell is. I'm not sure many of you guys are either. Could be wrong about that. You do not presume what the person is going to say. And if you kind of know what they're going to say, don't fucking ask it. What, the, what is the point in wasting everyone's time there? You'd be surprised what people will give you, man, if you just ask them. You'd be surprised. Sometimes nothing. A lot of times they'll open up about things that maybe they shouldn't, they wouldn't, they couldn't ordinarily, whatever. A lot of different ways that could go. You, do, you don't just walk in there and say, well, I know what he's going to say, so you know, there's no point in asking it. No. 
Let me tell you something, man. If your job is to figure out what the truth is, and you're and you are tasked to write an article about that, and you go back to your editor and you say someone asked it on Monday, and then they look at that tape, and then you say, you know, what did we need to go over here, dude? You'd be fucking fired. You'd be fired with good cause, by the way. You'd be fired because you didn't get an answer to the question. You didn't even ask the question. So that's why we were back there. This is what I mean. The media has one job, and and a lot of times it's not what the fans want to hear, and it's not what they want to see. And honestly, I get that. Dude, why are you ruining a fan event with media hectoring? Don't do that. Let the, let the fans have what they're going to have, and if these, these guys are going to do scrum after scrum after scrum, just do it there. Uh, it would solve a huge portion of this problem, to be quite honest with you. But to the idea that it was asked ahead of time, not really, no. And that there was no point in asking it, not really, no. There really was. And that, uh, what's he going to say? I don't know. I don't know what half these guys are going to say. Half the time I talk, 90% of the time I talk to him. That's why you talk to him. Hey, let's see what he says. If you start thinking you know what they're going to say, dude, turn in your key card and, and clear out your desk because it's not the, it's not the business for you. And, and if your job is to uncover as much information as you can about something particularly serious, uh, you got to ask it the full-throated way without equivocation. And as I said before, like I don't know even what fans are worried about. Oh, we're going to smear a guy who could be innocent. Dude, the casual audience does not know about this shit. I'm telling you they don't know. This is very much an inside-the-bubble thing. I know New York Times was reporting on it. Some people are going to catch a whiff of it. I'm telling you, I'm doing this, this whole media tour yesterday and today and then tomorrow as well. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So if you're a Conor McGregor fan and you think this guy's being railroaded, relax, because he's not. Any other athlete, particularly in this country, who was accused of not one but two of these, uh, and there was uh, apparently a police investigation about both of them, they would have to deal with a thousand times more than what they're getting here. So, if anything, man, it, it, whatever the effort is to get information about it, obviously it's very difficult. I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry. It's not working. So, um, and, and again, maybe you think that's the way it should be. Fine. Don't sweat it. No one is finding out about it. All right. Second question. How would Ryan Hall versus Brian Ortega look? It's a good question. Um... Wow, it's a good question. Well, I suspect that Ryan would not do anything a whole lot dissimilar. I doubt he would want to strike on the feet with really anybody. I don't think he wants to take any brain damage. When I say strike on the feet, I mean like in a prolonged, you know, circular exchange after exchange after exchange kind of way. I don't think that's the case. Um, first. Second of all, I think he would probably look to take the back. You know, Ryan as a pure grappler is far more advanced than Brian Ortega, but Brian Ortega is very good guard, very good excuse me, MMA jiu-jitsu, really good. But I suspect in the leg-locking game and then probably in back attacks and then attacks in getting to the back, Ryan is probably a few steps ahead. So my hunch is it would look something like that. Look for a leg entanglement, look for a back attack, look for a heel hook, something like that. Something where, you know, where do you have the comparative advantage, right? Probably in that particular department because, you know, getting on top of Brian Ortega and have to work into his guard, I don't care how good you are, that's going to be very difficult Getting him down is probably not going to be that easy under normal wrestling circumstances. Slugging it out with him on the feet. I mean, you saw what he was willing to do with Max Holloway. Not 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 a rest before, even if you win, avoiding damage. And then uh, last but not least, um, it, it, you just have to look. Where, where are they a little bit less than on in terms of me? 
And I would say Ryan Hall's going to have an advantage over just about anyone in that weight class in terms of uh, unorthodox entries, leg entanglements, attacks from the back, attacks in getting to the back. He's pretty good about that. Luke, what are your thoughts on Robert Whitaker pulling out with another injury? Well, was it, I, was it an injury? Because what I saw was it, it didn't. It was unspecified reasons, right? He put up that Instagram post saying, uh, you know, it was just personal reasons. Also, Dana White all but confirmed that Darren Till would likely step in. That's a hell of a fight, bro. Thoughts on Cannoneer versus Till, the battle of who gets to keep the nickname the Gorilla. Well, not exactly. Isn't one the Gorilla and isn't the other the Killer Gorilla? Two different kinds of gorillas. Um, love the show. Keep it up, man. Well, thank you, sir. All right. Thoughts on Whitaker pulling out. Dude, this is so bad. Um, it's not the end of the world because he's so young, but this dude just can't get out of first or second gear. Let me pull up his Wikipedia page. So he's pulled out of like, what, three of his last four fights or something, or four, four scheduled fights. Um, so here's his, let's see. So in, since 2017, he's fought one, two, three, four times. Four times in two years. That is hardly anything for a champion. Um, I'm trying to see. Uh, let's see his UFC middleweight career. Yeah. Uh, he's had a bunch of withdrawals. He had, obviously, the, the last-minute one against Kelvin Gastelum. He had those wars with Romero. You know, it was just a whole bunch of stuff. He was, obviously, diagnosed with, uh, let's see, let's see, the slave defense against Luke Rockhold. Then he had to pull out of that one. So Rockhold ended up fighting Romero. Then he had the staff infection, the whole bit. Like, yeah. So, first of all, you have, if it's an injury, you got to feel really bad for him, man, because the guy's so young. He's missing his, you know, this is the prime of his career, or at least the early part of his prime. So, you know, it's not. I don't want to beat the drum of his career is over or anything like that. I'm not suggesting, but you know, you're missing key portions of earning potential of you know your maximum athletic ability, and you just hate to see that. Whether you like someone or whether you don't like someone, you at least want to see what does it look like if they maximize their greatness. It's a question about Connor, right? Are we going to see his? Are we going to see some kind of a new ceiling, or are we going to see some kind of a new floor? Um, I guess we're going to find out here starting on Saturday. But in any event, as it relates to Whitaker, you know, you just hate you hate to see a guy who appears to be a very good person, and you hate to see it, especially given that this is such an important part of their athletic career that they keep losing over and over again. Um, so if it is injury, which I did not see, again, you could be right. That's obviously terrible. If it's something else, I hope it can be resolved quickly because the sport is not better with Robert Whitaker on the sidelines, right? The sport is better win or lose when he is competing. And obviously he's going to win a lot more than he's going to lose. So, um, I don't have anything to say about it other than I really, 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 really hope that this is not a, a lasting condition. Let me look at his output. So in 2011, when he was not in the UFC, he fought one, two, three, four times in 2011, one, two, three times in 2012, twice in 2013, three times in 2014. That's good. Uh, twice in 2015, twice in 2016, twice in 2017, but then once each of the last two years, once in 2018 and once in 2019. Yeah, that's not great. He's missing out on paychecks. He's missing out on the opportunity to recapture gold. He's missing out on opportunity to put his best foot forward as a champ or as a you know a former champ, but maybe a soon to be champ again. It's just not. I don't know how you could look at this and be anything other than um, you know have genuine heartfelt sorrow for whatever is plaguing him. It's just not. Dude, life is hard and athletics is difficult, and I don't care if someone wins and loses as long as they get a chance to go. Like 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 cowboy, cowboy's going to win some. He's going to lose some, but he's out there all the time. Probably not in the best condition every time, but. Um, you know, he at least is, there's a regular occurrence of when he is out there. So, uh, 
it's, it's, I hate it. I hate, I hate seeing it. I really hate seeing it. Uh, Dana was very quick to shut down the man that asked about Connor's sexual assault allegations. What, do I need to go over this again? Well, this is probably him just trying to keep the talk on the fight. Do you think that arbitrarily set boundaries on what questions can be asked at press conferences that will hinder journalists? Um, sort of. I don't think any official policy, but it sort of tells you that they're not going to answer something. Um, you can keep trying, but... Uh, did you notice Cowboy's limp in Embedded? When asked about possible injuries, Cerrone did the worst cover-up I've ever seen. I did see it, and I know he addressed it, and he was like, yeah, it's nothing. I mean, think about it this way, dude. Cowboy's had a million injuries just unrelated to fighting. ATV accidents, bull accidents, God, you know, who God only knows everything he's had. Falling off a tree, whatever the fuck. I mean, the guys had a million injuries that have nothing to do with fighting. Then you add in the fact that you've got a fighting career on top of that. The dude's body has been through it uh, in a pretty dramatic way. So, would it surprise you if, A, something was wrong with him and he couldn't really move right? Probably not. Would it surprise you if um, if he had some kind of lingering injury that he just c- couldn't get treated? You know, it just won't go away? No. However, it is also possible, like, you ever taken a knock in practice and, like, you know, you were kind of messed up for a day or two, but after that, it kind of went away on its own or, you know, if you warmed up, it was fine, you know? What I'm trying to say is I don't expect Cowboy's body to be in peak condition at this point in his career, whether we're talking about MMA injuries or not. Um, on the other hand, just because he's limping and embedded, while not a great sign, he's probably fought fucked up before. And it's not automatically clear that that is the kind of injury that is going to be a fight-deciding kind of injury. Um, so I would say pay attention to it. Let's see how it looks in the fight. Let's see what kind of mobility he has. You know, If he doesn't have good mobility, he's going to be in real trouble against McGregor. Real trouble. Fair enough. Um, but you know, he, in my judgment, for whatever that's worth, he had a bit of an uphill climb in this fight anyway. So... If you're a Cowboy fan, I wouldn't be heartened by it, but I wouldn't be automatically discouraged either. There's a lot of times you can be just sort of messed up in practice and then, you know, run it off for a little bit, get a shot of cortisone, and you could be fine. We'll have to see. Does a home loss send her to retirement? She'd be 2-6 since the Ronda win. Those two wins, if she loses, would be Betch Cohea back in, I think, 2017. And then the win in 2018 over Megan Anderson, which was a great win, by the way. The Betch Cohea win was fine, but ultimately expected, I think. The Megan Anderson win was on, was unusual because it wasn't just that she beat a much bigger opponent. She beat a much bigger opponent grappling. You know, and coming from a kickboxing background, that was very impressive to me. That was a really impressive win by Holly Holm. Does she retire? My hunch is probably not. I don't think she wants to go out on an L. But you're absolutely right. It has not gone her way. Now, in fairness to Holly Holm, let's pull up her record here a little bit. She is not exactly fighting chumps. I mean, the Betchkohea win was not her most difficult fight. Okay, fair enough. But since she beat Ronda Rousey, she was 10-0. Then she fought Misha Tate, which she won up until the last second. She fought Shevchenko. Okay, I mean, no harm there. Um, she lost. And then she lost to Duran Demi. Very controversial fight. Then she beats Betchkohea. Then she loses to Chris Cyborg, who she took the distance. Then she beats Megan Anderson, and then she loses to Amanda Nunes. Now, granted, you've got Tate, former champion, Shevchenko, champion, Duran Demi, former champion, Cyborg, former champion, Amanda Nunes, former champion, the two she beat in Cohea and Anderson, not champions, at least not in the UFC level. 
So she's only lost to former champions, and she's lost to two of the best female fighters ever in Nunez and Cyborg, and then you got Shevchenko, who arguably has a claim to beating Nunez. Now, uh, well, not twice, but certainly maybe once. And then you know, she ain't fighting chumps, man. However, you're right. She fought Raquel Pennington in her UFC debut. That was a very close fight, but she ultimately won. If she loses to Pennington, that would be quite literally her first loss in the octagon to somebody who was not a UFC champion. That would be the sign of something new, a level of a floor that we have not seen yet. Um, whether or not that forces her into retirement, I don't know. It, she would be the first time she's had a back-to-back loss since those three-fight losses in 2016 and 2017. I would say, I mean, without talking to her, it's really hard to make a you know definitive conclusion about it, but... Um, I would say probably not, but it would may again. Here, here's what it would signal for me that for sure her ability to compete at a championship level would be passed at that point. If you if you've only lost to champions and then you start losing to non champions, it's like Frankie Edgar at lightweight. He went from being a champion in that weight class to being a very perennial title contender at featherweight. Um, we'll see what he's going to be at bantamweight at this point. But you know, every time it seems like there's a drop, we'll see what happens at bantamweight. He's still very competitive, very good, but there's a drop off. And um, once once you once you begin to drop in that way, it's hard to get that back. And the the thing about it at 145 is that you know when he had only lost to Aldo, when he only lost to Max, he'd only lost to like the two best featherweights maybe ever. And then he lost to Korean Zombie. Granted, short notice, it was inadvisable. We've talked about it a million times, but now he lost to somebody who wasn't a champion. Now you're in a bit of a different situation. So that's to me the big issue there is who are you beating, who are you not? You know. All right, we'll go back here. Um, who's in your personal MMA Mount Rushmore? I don't mean the ones you think are the best or more influential, but the four fighters that you've gotten the most enjoyment out of watching or covering. Boy, what a great question. What a great, great, good question. I'm going to give that a heart. Um, okay. All right. Some of this may surprise you. Some of it may not. Let's see. John Jones. Um, love watching him fight. I know he probably hates my guts. Don't really care. You're asking me who I've gotten the most amount of enjoyment covering and watching. Yeah. That press conference where he didn't want to answer my question wasn't the most fun day in my life, but in terms of watching him compete, I love it. And I always have. Um, so he would go up there for sure. Number Gamedov. Um, I remember around UFC 200, I did the I was like a guest on a morning show here in DC with the top morning show for men in uh, 25 to 54. They're called the Sports Junkies. They're like an institution here in the city. And I went on, and I remember I was in Vegas, and they had asked me at UFC 200. They're like, um, you know, who's sort of the next big thing that we should pay attention to? And remember, this is July of 2016. So I was like, uh, there's this guy named Habib Nurmagomedov. I'm telling you, he's a force to be reckoned with. And they couldn't even pronounce his name. They didn't make fun of me, but they were just sort of like, well, you know, we're not going to pay attention to that guy. And uh, I'm not here to, t- you know, fast forward to UFC 229. I went back on that show, and they were like, wow, you were absolutely right. But I was like, I mean, that was the that was the easiest call in the world. It didn't take a genius to look at Khabib and be like, holy shit, this guy is completely different than his peers. I mean, he is a very special fighter. Um, I wasn't like I was able to detect something that you know wasn't obvious to everyone around. I, I was just talking to an audience that was unfamiliar with him. 
So for me, it'd be John Jones. It'd be Khabib Nurmagomedov. The ones that you think are the best, most uh, the four fighters you've gotten the most enjoyment out of watching. You guys might laugh or covering. You guys might laugh at this one, but I'll be honest. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. Brock Lesnar, dude. When Brock, Le- I can't. It's 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 impossible to explain. And if you watched UFC 200, you didn't really get a full sense of it. But when Brock was in full Brock mode, right around UFC 100, dude, MMA was <laughs> so fun. It was so so much fun. He was doing crazy things. Audiences that never cared about MMA before were all of a sudden paying attention. He was a marvel to watch if, in terms of his improvement, fight over fight. You know, I didn't think he was going to beat Heath Herring. I was like, oh, well, Heath is big, and you know, he's much more, you know, uh, well-rounded, and um, he's been doing this a lot longer. And then he just, you know, mows down Heath Herring. I was like, what? You know, and then of course what he did to Frank Mir at UFC 100. It was just. I've told the story before. I was sort of working. I was the editor in chief of Bloody Elbow at the time, and I remember I would check I would check traffic, fifteen twenty times a day, and I remember I was blogging or something was like post fighters. I was doing some kind of post fight work, and I remember looking at the the traffic, right as the fight was ending, maybe an hour after that, and it hit a level that I didn't even think possible that the site could reach. I was like, holy! It it, it was one of those moments where. You know, you ever find like a like seventy five bucks in your pocket? You're like, how did I leave seventy five dollars in cash in my goddamn pocket? Maybe five, maybe twenty if you're lucky. Seventy five? I leave seventy five dollars. I mean, I got seventy five bucks to just blow. I didn't know I had. You know, or um, you know, you 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 took a hard test. You're like, okay, if I can just get a seventy five on this test, and then it comes back, you get a ninety two. You're like, what? How do I get a ninety two on this test? You know, it was one of those kinds of feelings where you it was just exceeded well past even your highest expectation. And that was a lot of fun for me. That was a fun time in my life. So I would say those three. Who would be the fourth one? The fourth fighter I've gotten the most enjoyment out of covering. I'd say honorable mention to Daniel Cormier. He's been a fun one. Obviously, I'm having a lot of fun watching Israel Adesanya. Um, Ronda Rousey was fun to cover for a time until she wasn't. So I give her an honorable mention. Who would be a fourth fighter? You know, GSP... But, you know, when he was wrestling at the end there, I, I can't claim to be having a lot of fun. Uh, and I interviewed him, and he got all testy one time because he was just over the – we, I've, t- I've interviewed him since then. It's been fine. But, you know, just one time he was just kind of over it, which you can understand, of course. Um, the most fun covering. Those would be my top three for sure. I got to give you one more, right? Um – Dominic Cruz has been fun to cover. I'm trying to think of like a, you know, Fedor, less so. Because um, I went to one Fedor fight and this, and Strike Force stuck me all the way in the back of the thing. Like there was, you're like, oh, media complaining about their seats. Well, right. I mean, I paid for, I paid to go on my own way. I mean, SB Nation let me have a credential, but I paid my own way to go. I got no help financially. And if I'm going to go, you know, it needs to be worth my while sitting me all the way in the back when I can't see anything. It's like, it's not worth it for me to go at that point. So. Um, so that, that sucked. Um, okay. Uh, well, it's not my MMA Mount Rushmore, but I'll tell you who has been fun. He, it's not about the personal character, but it's about like how much fun I had covering. I guess it's somewhat MMA related. Floyd Mayweather. Now he's not an MMA fighter, not by any stretch of the imagination. Of course he fought our number one MMA fighter in terms of, um, you know, a celebrity, 
But in terms of like the amount of fun I've had, you know, he can be a very detestable creature. I think we all know the realities there, no doubt about it. But um, you might expect me to say Connor. I've had fun covering Connor, but um, not like some of you guys did. But for me, Floyd, because there was a, such a contradiction between what kind of a person he was and then how capable a businessman slash, slash fighter he was and all the lessons I learned about fight sports watching him, you know, about not merely about the jab and things that happened in the ring, but outside of it and how he made money. Like Floyd, I hate to say it, but Floyd taught me a lot, you know, and I covered, I went and covered the Canelo fight that he had, um, one of the Maidana fights. So obviously, I was there for Mayweather McGregor. Um, he, he came and did for the Canelo fight. He did a, he did a press stop here at the Howard theater. I got to do a, you know, a a sit down with him, you know, I've, I, he sucks as a person, but it was a very instructive time in my career and to watch what he would do and how he would manipulate people. Um, it was interesting. So I don't make any, I don't vouch for any of their characters personally, but you're asking who I've had the most fun out of watching or covering. It's probably those four guys. Uh, Luke, is it just me or is it getting a little old to hear fighters bash their own media? I heard Don Cerrone bash the media for clickbait articles several times just this week. And recently Todd Duffy spent about 15 minutes telling Mike Bond from MMA Junkie to do his job. Are fighters essentially cutting off their noses to spite their face here? I would imagine media coverage is net positive for them. Well, you'd have to ask them about that. Um, I don't know if they see it that way. Yeah, here's what I would say. If you're... I don't care for spurious claims about the kind of work that's being done. Like when people are like, oh, that guy, Morgan Campbell, asked about the rape accusations because he just wants attention. Who the fuck wants that kind of attention? To have people, you know, boo you and hate you and then threaten you? Who the fuck wants that? I don't want that. No one wants that. Um, you want attention for your good stuff. Hey, didn't I write a nice article? Everyone's praising you. Yeah, everyone wants attention for that. Like, and when you say it's clickbait, how is it clickbait? People didn't even read the article. Clickbait is when it's like, uh, you know, when they're like, oh, Connor just tweeted something random that has nothing to do with anything. And then they write it up and they're like, Connor says something you know, important about his next fight. That's clickbait. And no one seems to care about that. Um, look, here's what I'd say, though. I don't like spurious claims about what media is or is not doing. On the other hand, if you don't like people saying mean things about you, probably not the industry for you. You know, people are going to say mean things about me from now until the point in which I stop doing this. I don't, you know, it's not that I don't care if there's a claim that they're making that I did something wrong and then maybe they're right about it because Lord knows I'm probably going to make a mistake here or there for the rest of my life. But, uh, you know, just saying mean things, dude, they're not, if you say things that, like, People are, okay, let me back up a step here. When the term fake news began to get thrown around in our political discourse, but you know it has spread everywhere to sports and everything, at first I wasn't even sure what the term meant. I was like, what do you mean fake news? Are people writing up stories they know it to be blatantly false? And obviously in certain cases that's, that's what the claim may be. In other cases it's, you know... Uh, media that can be social or otherwise that's designed to confuse intentionally, whatever. It's got a vast meaning at this point. But I remember thinking to myself, um, you know, people are accusing these like venerable media institutions of uh, getting stuff wrong. In many cases, they were right. We've talked about this before, like the New York Times 
and Judith Miller sort of carrying water for the Iraq War. And the New York Times got that shit completely wrong from pillar to post. And then um, what, what ended up happening was it created this environment, I think, and there's, there's many complicating factors that contribute to it, but one of the things is that it created distrust in these sort of old-time media institutions and that people were looking for what they were hoping were sources of truth and that they would ultimately go and... Uh, they would make they would double down on their errors and they would go and then like w- look at info wars or you know clownpenis.fart well clownpenis.fart says vaccines cause autism and they would just believe in all this nonsense and uh, i thought to myself how can it be how can you like yes you should express a degree of skepticism about, about anything related to with the media reports no matter who they are but clearly there are some entities as news gathering organizations that operate at a much higher level than others i mean there's there's the Premier League that has Chelsea and Man City and Liverpool, and then there's you know Sheffield FC. They're not operating on the same level. Doesn't mean that no one's you know uh, error free, but these are not equivalent things. Uh, and it turns out people had a really poor judgment about that, in part because the, the um, it's made to look confusing. You might be asking, what does this have to do with this question? This, namely, that. What I have found is that once somebody uh, looks for information and that they find something that they like or think that they trust or whatever, if it is popular enough, if it is interesting enough to them, then if that entity or that person just says something, there are a lot of people who just believe it. They just believe it. Um, It's very bizarre to me. I'll have people being like, uh, oh, Luke, you, you made a video about something so-and-so says it's not true. And? <laughs> so what? Uh, I'm making claims, a series of claims in a video or article I write or a tweet. Um, they're based on, I hope, evidence. Th- they don't have any reason, particularly if it's critical, for them to agree to it. Uh, and that person may end up saying mean things. They may end up you know, confronting you. There could be a lot of things where this goes wrong. But I've just noticed, like, the job is to say the truth, which, for example, John Nash, uh, I'm sort of meandering here, I know, but John Nash had this article or this this whole bit of work he had done. He had every conceivable receipt related to fighter pay between 2010 and 2011 at Zufa. He knows exactly uh, how much got paid. They have every receipt. Discretionary bonuses, bonuses that were um, from pay-per-view money, uh, show money, win money, anything. Anything related to what a fighter gets paid. And the most that anyone got paid between those years in one go was $8 million. $8 million. And that includes everything. Um, which, if you know who's fighting around that time, you had Brock Lesnar fighting, you had Ronda, you had Connor. No one was making more than $8 million, including everything for a fight, people were just accusing them of being fake. Dude, they're being sued for not, pay, among many reasons, for not being paid, uh, for not paying their fighters enough. Why in the fuck, in the course of returning in documents to a court case that could show they pay much more, would they intentionally show to be paying less? Boss, all the way, by the way, you can be held in contempt of court, I believe, for not submitting the full receipts. <laughs> Like, why would they do that? That makes no sense. And yet, if you go out and you say McGregor's not telling the truth about how much money he makes, and there could be all kinds of reasons about why he exaggerates. And it could be maybe he's counting some other kind of flow of revenue that we're not considering. But in terms of what UFC is paying them, the most they ever got paid out was, it turns out he's making somewhere between, for two fights, $15 million. Okay, which is a shitload of money. Um, 
But the point being is, there are just people who will say things, and it's the media's job to go out and say whether or not that is true to the best of their ability. And the reason why I bring that up is you're talking about Connor, or it's not Connor, excuse me, about uh, Donald not liking things. Well, partly Donald might have a good point about articles being bullshit. That, that could be one. Todd Duffy was sort of talking about about media not talking about more substantive issues enough. Um, he, he didn't dress down exactly Mike Bonner. He was on my show. He did it to me too. But I don't think it came from a bad place. But in general, I'm going to say it again. If you don't like people saying mean things to you, this ain't the this this ain't the this ain't the, this, ain't, this is not the line of work for you. Um, do the job. Do the job as thoroughly as you can. You're going to make mistakes. I am too. Everyone's going to make mistakes. You're going to get stuff wrong. Try to do the best job you can. And if people don't like it, people don't like it. If if fighters don't like to say nice things about it, then they don't like to say nice things about it. I'm not going to sit there and police their opinions about it. Um, I'm just going to do the job as best I can and and tell the truth. And I hope that you can develop enough trust as an institution, not so that people blindly accept everything that you say, but that from an evidentiary standpoint, you can you can show your receipts and you can show your work. When I do uh, those um, dissected videos, the, the ones that, be, that used to be the Monday Morning Analyst, I make a series of claims. These are my claims. Here is my evidence. I show you the receipts. Right? People are like, how do you know this is true? Dude, I'm showing you the proof. I'm giving it to you. I am making a claim, and I'm showing it to you. If people don't like it, then people don't like it. But, you know, just sitting here trying to be like, well, why is the fighters getting mad? Why are the fighters getting mad? Then I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Luke, I have a question about your offbeat metaphor when it comes to striking. In music, it makes sense because there is a reference point, say a one and a two and a three and a four. So that offbeat would be on the ands, for instance. But how do you conceptualize it in terms of striking? I guess, what metric do you use to determine a fighter's beat so that you can identify the offbeat? First of all, it's not the offbeat, it's the halfbeat. Offbeat would be just like, you know, Elaine on Seinfeld dancing or something. Uh, love the work. Also, why the fuck does John Moraga, I think you mean John Morgan, always ask the first question at pressers? Because, dude, he shows up first. Let me tell you something about John Morgan. You... Apply for credentials for an event. You get back, hey, you're allowed to come to this event. Here's a media schedule for the week. Be at this place at 10 a.m., media entrance, blah, 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 blah. Every time, and when I say every time, folks, I mean every time. I have gone to a media event. I, I get there early, you know, half an hour, hour early before, before they even open the doors to the media. And they open the doors to the media before they open the doors to the fans. Every time I've gotten there, John Morgan is first in line. You know, he's that dude at Black Friday shopping who's got the first tent. You know what I mean? Um, so he should get the first question because he is there every time first. Every time. And he knows exactly what he has to do. He goes, and him and Ken Hathaway, they go, and they set up all their stuff, and they come around. Dude, like, it would be kind of weird to not give him the first question. I mean, I mean, every time, okay, not every time. But, like, in general... Dude, it's it, I can't. I, I'm not exaggerating a little bit. He is the first person in media lines every single time I go, and he never forgets anything. He always has all of his. I I always get to these events, and I was like, "Fuck, I forgot the clip. I forgot this card. I forgot this, you know, lens or whatever." He always has all of his stuff, always locked on, flawless, fast upload. He knows he has his workflow down. He's a pro, man. The guy's a pro, so I don't have any issue with it. All right, but the question is about the, not the offbeat, but the halfbeat. So if you guys don't know the concept, people are going to move on a certain a certain beat. You don't want to catch them 
on the beat or here because they'll be more ready for it. You want to catch them there, right in between, right in between the beats. And that can go for a lot of different things. You can see guys set up going for, if you're in jiu-jitsu, who, who are, you know, they're, they're fainting, uh, and they could go for a grip. You can go in between the grips. Um, you could be for striking. It could be for a lot of things. So you're asking about uh, when it comes to striking. Well, it's more than just striking, as I mentioned. This could be for anything. It could be for jiu-jitsu. It could be for a lot of things. If you're in an entanglement in jiu-jitsu, it's going to be less about rhythm. It's going to be rhythm more at space, right, to the extent that the person is, you know, has, has, has room to move. But even then, there might be some certain cases. But okay, so what metric do you use to determine a fighter's beat? Could be a lot of things. But the question is, you're thinking about vulnerability. When are they not in a position to offer meaningful defense or meaningful offense? So for example, you'll see a guy going footwork. They might bounce back and forth on their feet, right? Rather than waiting until they plant or plant, you catch them in between them planting. A lot of times when I show it, I show it with a person's foot in the air because they're literally if they're going for a jab. Or I'm a left, I'm a I'm a I'm a lefty, so I jab my right hand. If they're going for a jab, a lot of times you know you don't always have to, but a lot of times on a jab you'll step. So what they'll do is they'll step on the jab, and what you want to do is you can you can catch them two different ways. The beat is going to be one. The second beat is going to be two. Okay, you can catch them between the one and the two. Or between the two and the three, when they either are uh, they're at the end of the punch, right after, before they've had a chance to fully recoil. So, for example, you can before they get the jab off, you can intercept them. Another one is you could change levels and hit them with an up jab at the end of their jab. So they've already they're fully reached out. I'm wide open here. Maybe I don't have my hand up. I might be wide open here. You catch them then. You catch them in between stated full. Um, secure positions is really the uh, the way to think about it, right? And you'll see them, you know, they'll they'll faint and they'll have a rhythm in wrestling footwork uh, as well. Um, so that's what you're looking for. And there's a lot of different ways in which you can set that up, which you can identify it. Um, how are they moving into you? How are they moving away? Are they fainting? What kind of faints are they using? And you'll notice something about Israel Adesanya. He mixes up his rhythms a lot, a lot. So one thing he's really good at is he'll have a certain rhythm he's employing, and then he'll switch it up. So he's not merely having feints that disguise what he wants to do, this punch, that kick, whatever. But then on top of that, he'll disguise the rhythm behind it a little bit. This is what I mean people agree he fought Anderson Silva to like, it wasn't that impressive. I'm like, fellas, this is not the fight to say you're not impressive because you've got distance, rhythm, fainting, changing, left and right in a way that I'd have never even seen before. Um, he's very, very good at that. So that's what you're looking for. In between, uh, as someone might be stepping is a great way, or when they fully committed and they haven't had a chance to fully retract, and you get on the end of it. You catch them in between their natural timing. Uh, which MMA fighter do you think has done the most while being the least talented guy? <laughs> Jesus, that's a really important but awful question. Um Good Lord. Well, I don't know if it's really fair to say least talented. I mean, if you've done a lot, you're probably not all that untalented. But you mean maybe somebody who's done something with some fatal flaws? You know, there was a guy who fought in the UFC for a while. Um, he, did not, he did not have a great chin, but he was a really good fighter. Jonathan Goulet was a good fighter. You know, so he would take a big shot, and he just didn't have a lot of ability to, to, to withstand it. 
but if you ever watched him like work on the ground or you know he was doing the ass kicking, he did a lot of it himself. He was a very talented fighter. He was a very talented fighter. Um, so that's one that kind of stands out. Crazy Horse might be another one, or I guess he goes by Felony Charles Bennett now. But um, you know he he beat KJ Noons. I don't think he was expected to do that in Elite XC, right? So he'd be another one. Um, those are probably two good choices. Who you got one in the Super Bowl? Well, if you had asked me last week or before the playoffs last week, I would have told you the Ravens, but oops. Um, fuck that up. So I'll say I think you know who's looked good. I'll say Kansas City. Um, if when, Here's what I'll just – I'll put it down to this. If you're asking who's got the, the best play calling uh, – Left among the coaches, so you got what Vrabel, Lafleur, Shanahan, and Reed. I'll go. I'll go Reed on that. Um, and I think that uh, Mahomes is looking pretty good. And to come back in the way they did in their last game was just unbelievably impressive. So hold on. My phone has been lighting up from across the room. They calling me. All right. Since the Nate Diaz, John Jones, and now the comments from Jessica Penny, I guess you, get, you can throw Anthony Pettis in there as well. It seems public sentiment is turning on USADA, and fans are getting fed up with the obvious exceptions being given to draws. Do you think this will matter at all? Is just another situation like fighter pay? Uh, do I think it will matter at all? Um, well, if you're saying that opinion has shifted, which, by the way, we don't really have... When I say there's no evidence, there's plenty of anecdotal evidence that opinion has shifted, but there's no real hardcore evidence. Um... That opinion has shifted on USADA. I mean, it's pretty clear that, you know, they're heavy-handed in a way that they're not pro-fighter, but that's just my opinion. Um, do you think it will matter all matter at all from these fighters? I think fighters generally feel a little bit more comfortable speaking out about unfair treatment from USADA, but they all kind of do the same sort of thing, which is, you know, I'm really all for a clean sport as if USADA's vision of clean sport is the correct one, rather than realizing that their vision for clean sport and the punishments that they hand out and ru- the careers that they ruin, they're, they're directly connected. You can't, you can't have one without the other. The reason why those bad things happen is a vision of their ideology. They are, they are zealots, right? They believe not so much in a series of pragmatic policies that produce the best outcomes, although partly that's true, uh, or at least partly there's reason to believe that that might be true, but instead... It's a series of ideologies, right, and, or, or an over, overarching ideology. I mean, if you think about it, why would you ruin Tom Lawler's career and never apologize for it, right? Never even say that there's any culpability that you might have in that. Why would you never do that? Um, it would be because you believe in the righteousness of the mission. It's the only way you could really justify it, right? I mean, you flatly ruined this guy's career, and you deeply hurt him, and uh, not just him, but many others. And there's not an, even an, a scintilla of remorse. How could that be? Well, the reason why that could be is because you're, you know, this is collateral damage in the upholding of a, a righteous and holy and important mission. You believe that damaging these, I mean, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet, player. It's kind of, it's, you know, it's that kind of an attitude that um, you can be so disturbed as to think it's okay to do something like that, you have to believe in a, a set of um, precepts that are above moral reproach. 
That's it. That's it. So um, that's how you end up getting these really heavy-handed and unfair treatments. Um, but as long as they don't draw that connection, no, I don't think it will. I don't think it will matter. Uh, is it possible to effectively carry out a class action lawsuit against USADA? I do not know. If so, what would the claim be? I don't know. It's, good. it's, a, it's a fine question, but I don't know the answer to that. Let me make sure everything's running smoothly, by the way. I haven't even checked the stream. Yes, it is. Here we go. Put this up. Oh, God damn it. Hang on. There we go. Wrong button. All right. Is Conor McGregor t- telling Ariel Helwani he made $50 million fighting Habib good for other fighters' pay negotiations moving forward? Probably not. How much of that money comes directly from UFC and not sponsors? Well, again, I don't know how much he got because that fight was in 2018. We don't have any information about that. Let's assume it was even double what he got in 2016 or 20, yeah, 2017, 2016. It would be he would be making 15 million, not 50. Now, granted, that was the greatest selling pay per view of all time. So let's even bump it up to 20, maybe even 30. 50 seems impossible. Are other pay per view headliners making under 1 million each pay per view? Under multiple sources like Forbes say Usman and Covington each made 500k. Well, that was stated pay, I believe, that those, what those guys got. Um, is it good for other fighters? I don't think it had, doesn't. I don't think it has much of an effect on other fighters because the UFC kind of knows what they're paying out. If it was true in what he was saying, it might be a little bit different. But there's no evidence that. Again, I don't know exactly what he made, but it would have to be four or five times what he made against Eddie Alvarez for to even reach thirty um, or you know somewhere around there. So yeah, if it was four times that, he would be he would be still around around thirty million dollars. So. Which would be a you know a tremendous payday, obviously, and possible, I suppose. Um, but in any event, the UFC sort of knows what they're paying out. It wouldn't really matter. Um, the way to really get the most amount of money is to get not just pay per view money, but like well, how much pay per view money? Like to what extent do you pull from each buy? And if you look at what Mayweather does, you know Mayweather gets these tremendous purses, but he also gets some money off closed circuit. He gets money off ticket sales. He gets money off merch. He gets money off concession sales. He gets money from every single point of sale, which no UFC fighter that I'm aware of gets. Like, I don't think Conor gets money if you go to T-Mobile and buy a beer. You go to watch a Floyd fight, he gets, he gets that money. Not all of it, obviously, but he gets a cut. Um, and it adds up over time. Plus, he gets, you know, a huge portion of the pay-per-view revenue itself. So, you get the idea. Uh, why do you think Conor has entertained the idea of fighting Colby? Hasn't, excuse me hasn't entertained the idea of fighting Colby. I think if that fight were to happen, it could do huge numbers and the build-up would be great. Also, Connor has expressed interest in fighting a guy similar to Khabib's style. I think Colby would provide that style. Well, partly he's a terrible matchup for Connor. He can wrestle and he has unending cardio and he's bigger. Not great, Bob. I mean, I've I've hung out with Colby in person. He's big dude. Uh, he's not small. So it's a terrible fight for him, number one. Number two, he doesn't have a belt. You know, Connor, say what you want about him. Dude's ambition is pretty clear. I want a world title in boxing. I want a 155. I want 170. It's like, dude, you want, for an MMA fighter, basically three of the toughest things to get. We've seen him get jiu-jitsu world titles. We've even seen him, in the case of Overeem, get a K-1 title. We've never seen an MMA fighter get a boxing title. And uh, and I think that's what, what, what excites him. Now, whether he's being delusional... Or whether he is setting up a future that, uh, you know, we'll we keep doubting Connor, keep showing us wrong. I guess we're going to find out. But the reason why you wouldn't want to fight Colby is it's a bad style matchup and it doesn't meaningfully get you to a title because the guy just lost after fighting for one or trying to fight for one. Luke, uh, with Anthony Pettis fighting this weekend, I was wondering what another loss would do for his career and legacy. If he loses his fight this weekend, it would make him 9-9 nine and nine in the UFC. 
Okay, but he's nine and eight now. What did nine and nine do for him? Uh, Anthony Pettis at this point is a reliable, high-level fighter. Um, fans know him. He's got an exciting style. He is capable of beating elite opposition still, but he's got a lot of tread on the tires, man. The guy has fought. I mean, the guy has fought studs. Fight after fight after fight after fight across weight classes. The dude has fought studs. And as a consequence, he's taken an enormous amount of abuse. And I think it's probably affected him over the long run. Which, by the way, like these are not slights. These are just, how could you fight all those guys and take all that damage and then just be the same? You couldn't. It, w- it wouldn't work that way. So, um, so. Uh, you know, he might end up beating Carlos Dega Fajeda this weekend. We'll have to see. You know, Fajeda seems to be rejuvenated with Fortis MMA. It's an interesting fight that kicks off that pay-per-view main card. But I don't think one more loss would really change his legacy. Now, if he went on a, you know, 9-15, and you'd be like, whatever. But he was at one time one of the best lightweights in the world. He won a UFC title. He's a reliable name. He's still a reliable top talent, but probably not at his best anymore. And I don't think one loss to Fajeda changes that, to be honest with you. Um, but by the way, he might win and then go, he goes 10 and eight. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Oh God. This isn't a question so much as a recommendation for your listeners related to the previous live chat. Samir Okasha's philosophy of science, part of Oxford's very short introduction series. That whole series is affordable and good, but that one in particular is very well done. It's available on Audible as well. There you go. Uh, I'll say it one more time. Samir Okasha's Philosophy of Science. There you go. I'm a Kitcher and Coon kind of guy. All right, so again, I never expect you guys to put out donations. You don't ever have to. Well, you do for tomorrow's show, but not for today's. So with that in mind, let's take a look at uh, what you guys have put out there. And then we will... See what you have to say. All right. Let's do it. Favorite hip-hop producer. Some examples of mine. DJ Premier, JMT's Stoop, Alchemist, and of course, Dr. Dre. Well, I would co-sign on all of those. Uh, Lex Luger is a good one. Um, Heatmakers, Sea Lance, Stew Bangas. All of those are ones that I like. Someone just wrote, I don't know what this means. Joe Rogan, period, commentary, period. It seems he keeps dropping. He's hurt after every blow. Dom and DC, best combo. Okay. Uh, What books would you recommend on communication? You mean like written or verbal? Uh, I don't know that I have any good ones on verbal. Uh, there is a good book on writing. Let me see if I can remember the title. I read it years ago. I think I have it here, but I don't want to dig up for it. I think it's called... Let me see, make sure before I... Uh, well, there's always, there's always the elements of style. No, here it is. Uh, William Zinser's On Writing Well, The Classic Guide to Writing Nonfiction. I read that years ago. Great book, easy to read, easy to understand. There's many forms of communication, as you can well imagine. One of those forms might be, obviously, um, written communication. So I would recommend that. In terms of verbal communication, I don't know that I've read any books related to that. I've got some okay skills in that department, but whatever I have is related to repetition and um, the act of doing it. 
Someone says, do you think Conor McGregor's respectful personality will continue after Cowboy? Will he return to brash? I don't see how he's nice to Nurmagomedov. Now, maybe he doesn't go back to what he was doing at 229. Maybe we don't see that level of vitriol. But do you see him being like, oh, there'll be, there'll be blood spilled, but it won't be bad blood. Do you all see that happening? I don't see that happening. Uh, not, a, not like that. Not like that. Someone says, no question, just thanks for the great and hard work. I work in production 10 live hours a week. I know how busy one can get. I hope fatherhood is treating you well and you're getting good rest. Yes, I got some good rest last night. I feel so much better. So, um, and I think Abuela is coming over today to watch the baby, so I'm very happy about I get to sleep tonight too. Yay. All right, will Oliveira get his due after he beats Lee? If he beats Lee, that would be pretty big for him. That would arguably be his best win. I love that fight. I think we talked about that fight possibly happening, possibly happening last week. I think someone asked about Kevin Lee versus Justin Gaethje, and we were going through, and I don't, I don't think we had pinpointed it as the fight, but we had mentioned it here on this chat as maybe a fight to get to. I love it. I love it because it's a chance for Oliveira to really build on his momentum. Um, we've seen Lee be really good but also make some critical errors. That's the kind of guy that Oliveira can take advantage of sometimes. But at the same time, you know, Lee had that f- just unbelievable comeback win. Not comeback win, but comeback in his career, but dominant win against Gregor Gillespie. So, like, you know, he's got Faraz in his corner now. Like, he looks to be dialed in. Love that fight. And it's an enemy in uh, hostile territory. It's phenomenal matchmaking. Really good matchmaking. Big fan of all your work, this person writes, going to Madrid in May and going to email you for some recs around food and drink. All right, email me, LukeThomasNews at uh, gmail.com. By the way, I'll say this too, I've said it before, Camp New is a shithole, and they charge you to take your kid to tour there. Uh, I don't believe that the Bernabeu does that, so um, there you go. And, you know, good place to start in Madrid always. Plaza Mayor. Plaza Mayor. All right. Uh, if you were approached by someone looking to enter MMA media, what would you advise them in terms of entry level salaries and benefits? <laughs> Fuck all. Um, not much. Jesus. I don't really know what they pay for entry level at this point. Um, I think if you can make 45, you're doing well for entry level, probably. Uh, even that probably is high. A lot of work is going to be part time work. You know, so consider that as well. I mean, if you're talking about like a full-time job, yeah, I think if you can eke out 45, you're doing really well. Um, obviously, it goes up from there pretty substantially in certain cases, but uh, in terms of entry-level salaries and benefits, it would depend. I mean, yeah, if you get a full-time job, you healthcare, um, dental, I'm not sure what you mean by benefits. If you're if you're part-time, it's just whatever you can swing. But if you're a lot of work, a lot of work is part-time work. A lot of it is going to be like contract work. And if it's contract work, it can mean it can vary so much to the point where it's, you know, a few hundred bucks a month to uh, a couple thousand or more. Um, Obviously, I've been doing this for a long time, so I'm in a much more comfortable position at this point. I might be a little bit clueless about it, but I think that's probably a safe way to estimate um, your, I'll just say this, whether it's part-time or full-time, your entry-level salary is going to make you poor. So the question is, are you okay with that? Uh, where is my little baby Barbus? <laughs> He's out here somewhere. Sorry, I, I have to close the door because I'm not in my... I used to do the live chats upstairs. Now I'm down here in my old bedroom, which I've converted into my YouTube studio. 
And, uh, but you know, my kitchen's here, my living room's right here. So I just can't be too loud. Or I mean, I can be, I can be as loud as I want, but I, if I can leave the door open, it'll be loud. You'll have the pets coming and going. The cat and the dog will fight. So just can't be allowing it. Were you drinking ahead of the Nurmagomedov fight? You mean like the day of? No. Um, what, who should Jared Cannonier fight next since Robert Whitaker pulled out? Possibly Darren Till. Gotta be Darren Till, right? Such an amazing fight that is, where you've got Till who looked really dialed in against Kelvin Gastelum. Jared Cannonier really found his home at 185 pounds. Till still very young. Cannonier, fountain of youth, uh, although obviously he's a little bit older. I think he's mid-30s at this point. But um, you got you know a bit of a specialist in Darren Till, a bit of a well-rounded guy in Cannonier. Love that fight, man. Contrast of body types, too, you know. It's great. So much is being made of Cowboys' two losses, but Connor hasn't fought in over a year. Do you think the layoff will affect Connor more? It's the That's the, really the most important question, to be honest with you. And the reason why um, is because... So one thing that Mayweather was really good at was just taking time off. And then he would come back and he would just mollywop people. And you'd be like, wow, man, this guy is so far ahead of the game. He could take time off and then come back and just beat top-level dudes. Now, he started getting a little selective about who he was fighting and when at the end there. But, you know, you look at his resume, he wasn't fighting chumps. I mean, maybe he got Canelo pre-prime, but he still had to fight Canelo, right? So, um, but he was very, very good about that. You know, took all that time off and came back and fought Oscar and then uh, other times as well. I have been of the belief that, in general, you can't do that in MMA. Now, St. Pierre took four years off, but remember, he was very far ahead of his contemporaries, for the most part. I kind of thought he lost that Johnny Hendricks fight, but um, he stayed training the whole time. And he didn't fight anyone else in that weight class other than Michael Bisping on that night. And, you know, Bisping obviously had the vision issues, and you know, the guy had to get probably, you know, like like uh, Cowboy, his body had been put through the ringer, and you can see some of the effects of that now, unfortunately. But, uh, in general... You know, we didn't really get a clear sense of how much he had changed over time. Uh, all of that is to say, um, uh, Cowboys' two losses are very recent. I mean, he just got finished against Gaethje this year. Um, and he took, you know, he had, if you actually look at the stat output from Tony Ferguson, he was landing a lot on him. I mean, the guy's taken a metric ton of abuse, and a lot of it is relatively recent. Connor's ring rust could play a role. We're going to see how much time you can take off and still be at the top of a division if you can end up being back there. Um, but that's not the same as, like, uh, abuse that's recent. So Connor's body will be a little bit fresher by virtue of being time off, but he has to deal with ring rust. Cowboy will be fresher in terms of his ready-made skills, but will have a lot of wear and tear on him. And so it's a, really, it's a, it's a challenge to see which of those is the, is the predominant um, factor. Um, how'd you not name the MK beer bit sip to sip? Well, I might have to steal that. That's a good one. I might have to steal that. Um, all right, this person paid 10 bucks for this, so I'll read it out. Luke, love your content inspired by you since MMA beat and ongoing. Keep doing you. Violetta is gorgeous. Great Southern trend kill post TBE. Please shout out my podcast, D Loves Special Sauce. There you go. Uh, 
Do you think Coach Kavanaugh really has the talent to keep coaching McGregor? He had nothing to say in the corner during the second Diaz fight. Uh, I'd have to go watch the second Diaz fight. It would be very surprising to me if Coach Kavanaugh didn't have the talent to keep coaching McGregor. So my hunch is that yes. But I, and also, like, Owen Roddy might have been more the relevant person for that particular moment. Like, I'd have to go back and watch. So my answer is probably just fine. Uh, so it says you complain that the press conference isn't legitimate place to ask questions because the fans are present, but there have been two media only scrums with Connor. The questions could have easily been asked there. So yes and no, I don't know who was invited to all those scrums. If understand something, one, people show up at different parts of each day, as I mentioned Two, a lot of times people like, well, you can just ask Connor at a later event. Dude, sometimes you don't get invited to those later events. So like they may like the UFC may let you go to the press conference and then they might have like a Dana White scrum. You just don't get invited to it. He have a select view, select few that he allows in uh, a lot of the time. Now when he did the press, when he did the scrum, when Rousey was not doing media, everyone got to go. Um, and that's when he did the whole Dana White, you know, Nate Diaz is bigger than you thing. But um, in general, uh, yes, I agree. If you if you have an opportunity to do it later, you fine, do it there. It's just, you got to remember, it's not always clear what you're allowed to go to and what you're not allowed to go to. So, um, or maybe, you know, maybe he wanted to make sure that um, he got unobstructed access. Like, because um, so for example, if you're a print reporter and they're doing a scrum, they may only let people in who are like, you know, John Morgan, Casey and Esther, people who are video and... Uh, on that side of the of the equation, if you're a print reporter, why do you need to go to the video and audio scrub? Right? So there can be a whole lot of segmentation there. Always keep that in mind. Someone just sending a thank you to John Howard. Thank you very much. How do you think change in Connor's fight style will affect him in the fight? But, I mean, I don't know what the change in the fight style is. Right? Do you? We have to see how it looks. So he says he's going to look better than the one against Eddie Alvarez. I would love to see it because he looked fucking awesome against Eddie Alvarez. Um Love to see. Someone says, fantastic content. Thanks for your insightful work. Thank you, buddy. What do you make of the hate for Brendan and how people said his show is just a subpar regurgitation of your show? Well, first of all, I wish I had his views. Uh, if that is just a subpar regurgitation. I don't think so because we disagree all the time. Uh, and the hate for Brendan is to me kind of, you know, look, if you guys don't want to say nice things about him, I'm not going to police your views. Go inside it. But to me, I think a lot of it is just pile on pathetic bullshit because... Uh, I've been to his shows and it just doesn't match the online tenor at all. So I'm not here to tell, I'm not, like, you guys are allowed to like and dislike whatever you want, man. And I'm not here to police people again. Don't be in media if you don't want people to say mean things about you because they're going to, whether they're right or whether they're wrong. It's just how it's going to go. And I think Brendan probably understands that better than most. I think a lot of it is just piling on and, um, and I don't really take a lot of it very seriously. You know, and sometimes he says verbal g- gaffes, you know, make fun of him for it. I don't, it doesn't bother me. I don't care. But, um, you know, what do I make of the hate for Brendan, how people, you know, just go after him all the time? I think it has turned into just its own kind of game. And the reality is he has a giant audience that I, you know, would love to have that absolutely love his stuff. So... You know, say what you want, but you're not going to convince those people not to pay attention. 
Um, would you consider putting together a course for purchase for aspiring MMA writers? I have thought about doing that from analysis interviews reporting. I've thought about doing that. I don't know if I'd make it for purchase, but just to put together like a, here's like a, you know, here's all the things I've done right. Here's all the things I've done wrong. Build on this. Avoid these traps, you know. Although there is no title on the line, do you think Connor has as much pressure as ever on him because of the potential paths he can go with a W? I do, man. I do. But you know, like when he walked out there, again, I go back to it. Go back and watch the Eddie Alvarez fight. I've been backstage when fighters made that walk or beforehand. You know, Brandon Vera would famously throw up a lot when he was in the UFC before fights, like in, like uh, fight day, you know, just from the nervousness. Connor can't wait to get out there. He just can't wait. So while I do believe, you know, he knows that this is, I mean, people are ready to bury Connor in a stupid way. Like if there was, I'm not comparing Connor to Kimbo Slice. What I am going to say, though, is Kimbo Slice's popularity was very instructive, which is even though he lost a bunch, and granted, you know, you're not expecting the world from Kimbo, so in that sense, he's very different than McGregor. But, like, even as he got older and he was fighting, you know, just these weird fights and looking terrible, dude, he was still Bellator's most successful fighter ever in terms of what he meant promotionally for the company. And for the UFC, he still holds, or and held for a time anyway, many records. Um, Pat, look, BJ Penn had to lose for a decade before the UFC cut him. Right? Passions for celebrated figures, they die hard. I'm not telling you that if McGregor loses, there wouldn't be professional consequences. Of course there would be. And it'd be a recalibration of what his ceiling would be. We'd be more discovering what the floor might be. On the other hand, if you think that people would just all of a sudden stop watching overnight, you're very mistaken. Very mistaken. His popularity will absolutely carry on. Not maybe the level that it was, but considering how popular he has been, that is a very, very far way to fall. Um, I would not, I would not believe that he's all of a sudden not going to be a pay per view draw the next day. Not at all. Um, but you're right. There, you know, he, he, this is a very important win in his career, and I wonder if he's feeling it a little bit. Best strikers to emulate, mimic, and learn from. All right. Uh, well, that would really depend on what you like and what really matters to you. Let me give you something that I've been paying attention to recently. I've been really watching a lot of old James Tony fights. Dude, he is incredible. James Tony in his prime with that Philly shell and then his hand feints that he had up here, they were unbelievable. He was such a talent. I've been watching a lot of him. Uh, Marvin Hagler, to me, all-action fighter, you know, very very clever, really fun to watch. I've been watching a lot of boxers recently. Um, obviously, Adesanya is just at the vanguard of something, uh, you know, revolution, really. In, in, if, people, if people begin to mimic Adesanya, he could usher in a revolution in striking, I believe that. Um, who are some other great ones? Ones that I like to watch. I like the... I like devastating action-oriented strikers who are defensively sound. That's kind of the ones I like. So I like those guys. I like, um, who's another boxer like right now that I really love to watch? Obviously, Lomachenko's great. Jaime Munguia is not quite turning into what I thought he might be, so that was a little bit, not disappointing exactly, but sort of a recalibration. Um, who are some other ones that I spend a lot of time watching these days? Either on YouTube or... Is a sort of appointment. I like I like Regis Progre. I like his style. I know he just lost, but still think very highly of him. Um, 
yeah, those are some good ones to watch. But just start looking around, see what you like, see what kind of styles. You know, some people love the the Wonder Boy bounce in and out, boom, strike, get out. They love that kind of stuff. Some love the you know uh, the, the traditional Thai style, and 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 one does a good job of you know I'll give him credit does a lot of good job of featuring some high level Thai Thai style striking. That's not my favorite style, but I'm not here to talk bad about it. It's really all kind of preference. But um, I've been getting into a lot more boxing these days, and uh, those are kind of the guys I've been paying attention to. And then last but certainly not least, someone says thoughts on the Aaron Hernandez documentary. Wow, finished it last night. Um, it's good. It's very good. Um, I got some, I don't know if I have mixed feelings. I have a lot of questions about it. I don't want to spoil it for folks who haven't seen it, but they, one of the problems with the documentary is not so much a problem with the documentary, which is to say, in the end, about some of the things he was accused of doing and, and about, um, some of the motives around the murders, there's a lot of missing information. So it forces the prosecution, it forces the public, it forces the media, and in this particular case, it forced the filmmakers to try and weave together um, reasons or maybe even a narrative about why he did certain things that he did. And it's not altogether clear to me that their reasons are... are sound from an evidentiary standpoint, understanding though, that these are very difficult questions to figure out. Why was Odin Lloyd murdered? Um, why were the two gentlemen, I forget their names, I apologize, the two gentlemen who were gunned down in the Boston Theater District, the two guys from Cape Verde, why were they gunned down in the way that they were? What do we know about them? And one of, you'll see this, this is, this is public knowledge, but one of the key reasons that uh, ultimately I think Hernandez was exonerated in the second of those two trials uh, and why he had even a hope in the first one was there was just a real motive problem. Why was Odin Lloyd killed? Um, there's no real clear motive that you can tie Hernandez with a mountain of evidence is not in dispute. But why was that? Why, why, why was he killed? You know, um, they don't really know. And why did he hang himself in prison the day that he did? Um, there were some notes that were left, but even then it's not really altogether clear. Um, so that creates uh, some room for editorial, uh, you know, editorial latitude that I'm, I'm somewhat uncomfortable with because I just don't know how real it is. So, so they had a tough task. It was, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. It's just, it's hard to watch, man, because you just don't know exactly how much of what you're watching is a fair assessment of the truth. But when there's so much shrouded in mystery, you can't just say nothing about it. And it creates for this very difficult um, middle ground that they had to kind of navigate. I thought they, look, I'll say this. I thought they did the best they probably could with the information that they had. Um, but just keep in mind, you really got to make up your own mind about that. So if you've not seen it, go watch it. It's really interesting, but there is, if you're looking for satisfactory, complete answers to the mystery of Hernandez's life and why he did certain things that he did, I don't know that you come away with this feeling like you got really super informed about it. You got probably better off than you were, but some of the mysteries are just going to remain mysteries. 
And that's really where we are. All right, let me go back to the slab thread, and then I'm going to jump down to the bottom. And then we'll uh, I'll pick a couple here, and we'll go. Let's see. Thoughts on Gojira, the uh, French metal band? Um, not for me. I, don't, I wouldn't talk bad about them, but every time I try to play them, I just don't hear anything that I, I, that just moves me. I'll put it that way. Uh, let's see. Which new countries do you expect UFC to break into this year? Probably some other portions of Spanish-speaking Latin America. So maybe Ecuador, maybe Colombia. Obviously Venezuela they're not going to go to. Uh, Bolivia still dealing with political unrest. Mm, they've been to Argentina. They've been to Chile. Yeah, so probably those two. Um, you know, would the UFC go to like one territory, Malaysia, Vietnam territory? That'd be kind of interesting to see. So, so Southeast Asia and then Spanish-speaking Latin America seem like two places potentially ripe for um, UFC uh, to head into. Uh, is there a base? Da -da 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 -da. Jesus, this means like all kind of around the same thing. Uh, has any scientific research been done on chins? It seems that some fighters have better chins than others, but do we actually know why? I think there has been some research done on um, the whipping motion on the neck and that there is some evidence to conclude, you see boxers work their neck a lot, that the sturdiness of your neck muscles holding the head in place affects your ability to absorb damage, but... Um, how the chin fits in the, the mandible jaw fits into the skull and what, if any, impacts, uh, you know, concussive force might have on it and in what ways, no. But there's actually, there have been some studies done, to my, to my knowledge, about uh, neck musculature and how that can affect it. All right, I'll do one more. Um... Can you show Barbus? All right, I'll bring Barbus next week. I'll bring Barbus next week. <laughs> Luke, has the UFC missed the perfect opportunity to create a 165-pound division with a Cerrone versus McGregor fight? The answer is probably yes, but they just don't seem to want that baggage. I've said it before. If you just set up 165 and you let whoever you want go in there, you might end up with a bit of a weird 155 or 170 division. But if you listen to my radio show and I put out a video to this effect, if you had a bit of a draft where if you wanted to go to 165, you could put your name in a hat and then the UFC would select to make sure you had a, a manicured, well-run, curated 155, 165, and now 175 pound division, it's very doable. Maybe they don't want that headache. Maybe they don't want to just, they don't want to think about it. I, I don't really know. But to me, it seems like it's inevitable. There's way too much fighter support for it. Someone's going to break that seal. I don't know who it's going to be, but it is very doable. It's very doable. You can't let the process just, you know, take on a mind of its own. 
you have to control it. But if you control it, it can be. It, it, I've we have shown it can be done. Okay. All right. So with that in mind, do me a solid here if you can. All right. Uh, give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. Remember, donks. I will be back tomorrow right here, right after the McGregor fight is over, for a post-fight special. Answering all your questions, digging into all the details of everything we see, spread the news, the whole thing about it. Look in the description box below. The link to my Apple Podcasts for my radio show is going to be in there, as well as Morning Combat and everything else that I do. So just look in the description box below. There's a ton of stuff in there. Uh, if you got a question, email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, donks, until next time... Appreciate you guys watching. Stay frosty.